I'm Daniela. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome, my guest, Rhys Koch. She's original from Canada, and at the moment, she is in London, England. I came across her website because I'm trying to make my own, and I saw hers, and I really enjoy the way she used colors, and the design was very organized and clean. I like how Rhys combined her resume, her achievements, schoolwork, and her blogs and travels. I got more curious to know the person behind the website. So I invited her to the show and she accepted. I always enjoyed having young people in the podcast because the perspective to life and their experiences are really interesting and I always learn something from them. So let's enjoy her story. Welcome, Reese, to the podcast. I am very, very excited that you're here today. Thank you. I'm also very excited to be here. I've been following her, Reese, even without her knowing until now. She went to Copenhagen for work, right? For work, yeah. Yes. When she came back, her website, she updated it, and I wanted to know more. So I convinced her to be here today to tell us her story. Reese, tell us why is it that you are such a smart woman at such a young age? <laughs> That's a pretty hard question to answer. I don't know. Well, I guess a bit about me. Maybe we can start there. I grew up in Alberta and then moved to Qualcomm Beach on Vancouver Island when I was 12. I think that's where the entrepreneurial kind of business side of me started coming out. At it was 15, I convinced an electric bike shop to hire me, even though I was too young to even ride the bikes, because legally you have to be 16 to ride them in Canada. And I was super interested in this business. And it was two women that were running it. This was like later in their career, kind of their retirement job. They were really smart businesswomen with tons of experience. And they kind of stepped into roles as my mentors at a really young age. I acknowledge that a lot of who I've ended up today or the path I ended up choosing to go down was very much so because they took the time to talk to me about opportunities, introduce me to the aspects of running a business, how to build relationships with people. So I was with them for four years and I really enjoyed it. Would come back in my summers during university too to work with them. They were also the people that kind of encouraged me to go to business school, which I think was one of the main indications that's allowed me to do a lot of the things that I've done throughout the years. But why do you think that you had already that entrepreneur in you when you moved to Calicum Beach? I think it started from just a super young age. So when I lived in Alberta, I used to actually capture moles. So, you know, like the rodents, because they destroy the farmland. And I would sell a tail from the moles to each of my neighbors for a dollar. So if I caught a mole off their property, it would be a dollar for a mole. I would just set traps and stuff. And that was like my little business when I was like eight, nine years old. And I did that for a couple of years. And I think then when I went to high school, I started something called Musical Mentors, which was connecting high school students with elementary school students for musical like lessons. So essentially, a high school student needs to get so many volunteer hours to be able to graduate high school. 
And I saw this as an opportunity to connect them with young children who'd like to learn an instrument or learn how to sing. And I think through these experiences, it was just always noticing some sort of gap, like being like, this doesn't exist, but this makes so much sense. Like it's a need or a requirement of a certain individual. And why should I not be the person that does that? I never saw age or anything like that as a barrier to being able to start something. Wow, that's super interesting. I'm interesting how the mall too, because we have one. So <laughs> if you want to come and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've retired from that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> then you moved to Qualicum and then you found this business and then you work with them. And then they, they suggested that business school would be the ideal for you. And you went to UBC. Yeah, I originally thought I was going to be an engineer, like when I was young, when I was like 10. And they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I'm going to be an engineer, because that's what my dad wanted me to be. But I didn't know what it meant to be an engineer. And to be honest, I'd be a terrible engineer. Working in a business, they really allowed me to have a lot of responsibility at a young age. So I used to run the store two days a week alone. So I had like the keys and would deal with the customers and big sales. And they let me see all the budgeting and how much it costs to run a business and the profit margins and all these things. And I just thought it was super interesting to see how it all worked together. Obviously, business is a lot broader than that. But at that point, I just found it quite interesting. And they always encouraged me to go to university. And I was like the most aligned to what I was doing was to get a business degree. Wow, super good, interesting. And then so you decided to go to UBC for business? Yes. So I applied to four universities in the end, decided UBC just because it was a really good school and location. I like the West Coast the most in Canada. I'm not a fan of very cold weather. I've lived in it before. Do not want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> then you had to do some co-op. I graduated university and I just applied online. It was an internship for six months. I wanted to get abroad somehow. And I thought this was a great avenue to be able to do that. I had a friend that actually did an internship with them before and I heard about the company and it sounded super aligned. It was like a combination of like entrepreneurship and impact and consulting and strategy and all these like things that I identify a lot with. And I just went through the interview process for about three months and ended up there a couple months later. And how was that experience from living all your life in Canada? I had gone on university exchange to Edinburgh in 2020. So I had already moved abroad to go to university in a different country. I felt like this was easier because I'd ripped off the bandage when I went to Edinburgh the first time. And I knew a few things that I should do to make it successful for me, at least. I really enjoyed it because my office was very social, lots of young people really immersed in the Danish culture because you're working, living, you know, I lived with a Dane, I worked with Danes and other people from all over the world. I enjoyed the cycling culture of being able to cycle everywhere you went to the city. It's super social. So everyone's always grabbing some beers on a Friday night or on a Tuesday night, literally whenever there's always someone that wants to grab a beer or hang out. I definitely miss it a lot. And I really appreciate the work-life balance that Copenhagen taught me, which is there's boundaries and that you can have hobbies in your personal life and work. And that doesn't impact how good you are at your job at all. Overall, it was a really eye-opening for me, I think, to see how life can be lived and that there's not just one way of living life. They work hard, but they also play hard mm -hmm. and they enjoy community. Yes, that's the best way of putting it. And when somebody comes from abroad, they welcome people easily? Yes, very much so. I think that it requires effort on the person coming from abroad. It is not just that they're going to welcome you and that you have automatic friends or anything like that. They have quite tight communities, so they don't just let anyone into that community. 
But if you put in the effort and you try to get to know people, they are op open and willing to be very loyal and supportive and helpful. So I think that's a bit of a misconception about Denmark is that the people are very cold and kind of not welcoming. I think once you get past their initial barrier or put the effort in, people are more open and mutual friends. So having someone introduce you to someone they know is a very different experience than cold trying to meet someone. Meeting people cold is quite difficult in Denmark, I would say. But Riz, how is it possible that you can work hard and also have time to be in the community? And here, it seems much harder to do that. I think just because they acknowledge that after a certain point, your productivity and your like efficiency does go down. So say if you're working like nine to five and you have a nice lunch break, like you're feeling rested and energized for work and your mental health is also good because you're supported by your community. You're able to still exercise, go to the gym, have your friends versus here when people are working, you know, eight to 9 p.m. or something like that and taking little breaks throughout the day. They never really get a point to kind of like unplug and your efficiency after a certain point will start going down. Yeah. So if you've already been working 10 hours, the extra two hours of the day is like your efficiency is going down, down for those extra two hours of the day. And then overall, people can feel more stressed because they're working a lot. And they don't have a moment to just recharge or feel balanced or connect to people that are important to them. So their mental isn't as clear or strong to be able to go into work. So I think that's the most I saw. And I think there's a really big openness and understanding to mental health and like how people are feeling. So if you're feeling burnt out, then your work will pull back or your doctor will say like your work needs to give you a leave. And I've seen that happen. And people just go recharge, get the rest they need so that they are always mentally prepared for work and feeling strong and able to do their job and empowered. The mental health is more of an open conversation than a taboo over there? I would say so. Like, I think my workplace was very open about mental health and trying to do things that would support like the employee's happiness. So we often had surveys and discussions in like town halls about how people were feeling about how management was running the place. But they would also do things like buying us a new coffee machine, for example, or having a stocked wine fridge, because those were the little things that made people feel happy at work, right? To be wanting to stay on a Friday night with their colleagues and build friendships. A wine fridge at work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. It was stock time every week there would be. So we would open a bottle of wine, I think every Friday night and they would have snacks in the office and you just sit around and eat snacks with your work colleagues at 4 p.m. on a Friday and talk about your week. Yeah. So like everyone was friends at the office and that was, that's very normal in Denmark. I would say like it's called Friday bar. And pretty much every office does that. People were not running to go home to take care of their kids or the wife or anything like that. Or everybody was young, I guess. Well, sometimes they were. So sometimes people leave at three, four o'clock because they have to pick their kids up and then they'll finish working online in the evening. Other times the kids would show up at work. Like I've met, I think, all of my manager's children because they'll just come into the office and hang out, play some toys with each other or whatever as the parents are having drinks with their work colleagues or people's partners will come and hang out as well. Having that experience, how is that going to affect your work attitude when you're here in Vancouver? Yeah, I think it's a lot about setting boundaries. I think what happens in Canada a lot, especially with young people as they're starting their career, is employers will try push and ask for more, 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 more. And once they realize that they can keep asking for more, they won't stop. And suddenly you're taking on a lot of responsibility that you're not getting compensated for. 
by any means. And you really give up your life. Like people say that you just grind really hard in your 20s to get your career set up for you. Well, I realize I really want to just live my 20s. I don't want to grind through my 20s as that being my one sole purpose. I want to travel and have friends and exercise and feel good about myself. So I think it's number one, just working for companies that share that philosophy, that don't expect you to be working 14 hours a day four days a week, and then 10 hours a day on Friday or something like that. Those aren't the companies that I want to work for personally. I'll definitely do it for periods or stints, but I don't want that to be the status quo all the time. And I think the other thing is when people try to push those boundaries, and they know that they're pushing those boundaries, just say no, and that, you know, it's not your responsibility as an employee to fix management's responsibility for hiring enough people to get the work done. It's not your responsibility to take on that overworking because they didn't resource plan accordingly. And if they they don't want to keep working with you or something like that, then I think that's management's fault, right? Like you can't just expect people to burn out and that that's normal in an industry. I think that's like a core problem because it's not sustainable for anyone. And someone's going to have to go and leave and need a mental health break. Like there's all these things, like we see it all the time and I just don't want to get to that point. And I acknowledge that. But, and also I'm not going to be working in Canada for a little while here. So, oh, so you're planning to go somewhere else? Uh, I'm moving to London for a new job in September. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I was 24 when I was in London and I was working in hotels, mm-hmm. the Hilton on Park Lane. So when I was working at the front desk, I automatically was going to be moved to supervisor because, you know, you're trained to be moving and changing and, and getting promotions in hotels. And I remember they said, well, you're going to be the next chef lead, which was the title, but we need you to work at least 13 hours a day. Oh my God, I am already working 10, crazy, because we were working so hard. But that was the expectation. However, I love the hotel industry. So it was just, okay. It didn't matter. I'm glad that you're going to have the experience in London. I guess we can have a next episode following Reese (laughs) in London now. And how is that going to be the experience versus being in Denmark? Because I think the Nordic countries like Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, they all kind of have that similarity on community and working, yes, but also living your life. And especially because they have many months of short days, right? So for them, mental health is very important. Yeah. So going back to Edinburgh, how was that experience? Yeah, Edinburgh is a really beautiful city. I went there for university. So I was doing studying at the University of Edinburgh. Scottish people are unbelievably friendly. So I found, you know, the transition to moving into the city quite easy because people were very supportive of me. I find being an international student, you end up being friends with a lot of other international students because that's who you're, you know, exposed to the most or who you see eye to eye the most to. Uh, So I met a lot of interesting people from all over the world. I traveled a ton during that period. I traveled almost every weekend that I was there. It was a Overall positive experience, I was 20 at the time. So it was my first time really going abroad alone. And it really kickstarted a lot of things to make me want to keep doing it in the future. So you did get the travel bug? Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, I know. You said that Edinburgh was quite different from Copenhagen. I would say the city itself, yes, because of how it's built also. Like it's quite an old city that's built on top of another city. So there's a lot of cobblestones and like you can't really cycle as much. I would say that its food culture was a little bit different too. Like the type of cuisine they eat there, for example, is really Scottish and kind of heavy meals, whereas in Copenhagen's a lot more 
lighter like toasts and salads and stuff like that. I think the people are quite different. Definitely the personalities, the way they dress, like everything is quite different between the two. And I was also a university student versus a working professional in Copenhagen. So your lifestyle is quite different between the two. And the way they dress, talk about well, fashion. <laughs> in Edinburgh, they dressed very like British, if you can imagine what I'm saying. So like the poofy sleeves, headbands, they like to be tan there and have like big jewelry and kind of more extravagant style. I would put the best word to it that I would see with the women, for example, going out when the guys would dress pretty basic, like jeans and a t-shirt, that kind of thing, uh, had very similar haircuts though. They had, I don't know how to describe it, but they all had kind of the same haircut in Copenhagen. I think they're kind of like style icons of the world. So that was one of the things that I really noticed when I was there is the Scandinavian style. Like for example, the design and everything in their homes is absolutely beautiful, but people also appreciate a certain level of attire as well. So they wear very sophisticated clothes, simple clothes, sim simple colors as well, like pretty understated colors, but it's very tailored and all put together quite nice. Like you would never see someone going out in like pajama pants in Copenhagen. That literally would never happen. People dress up to go to the grocery store. They dress up as they're cycling anywhere in the city and they look fantastic. So I took a lot of style inspiration from Copenhagen. It was really incredible to see. And there's a lot of like designers, like local designers that people support as well. My roommate was a fashion designer in Copenhagen. So she owned a store and uh, had a really interesting immersion between Korean fashion and Co Danish fashion. I think there was a lot of people that support smaller fashion designers like that and had this kind of unique twist. I think Copenhagen is by far one of the most incredibly dressed people I've ever seen anywhere. I saw that you didn't have too much to say about fashion, but you did. You did. <laughs> and so you said that your friend had a combination with Korean designers and Copenhagen. So was it similar or was like a, a blend? It's definitely a blend. They had a lot of the silhouettes of the Korean design with like, and some of the colors, I would say, with the simplicity of the Danish style. I think they're similar, but the difference was the kind of Korean silhouettes that she was bringing. But super, super beautiful designs, kind of innovative bag shapes and stuff like that as well. And she was doing quite well. So, so and colors, they use color. Yes. So she had bright royal blue, purple, pink, really cool colors. And that's the thing too, is in Denmark, you start seeing more and more people are like starting to embrace colors. And that's what I've talked to friends about is that over the years, more colors have actually came into the fashion world. Whereas it used to be just like a sea of black or gray clothing. It's definitely not that anymore. It is still dominantly that, but there are people that you'll see in like full colored outfits or I've seen people walking in pink suits, for example, and they look fantastic. Yes, I feel that color is the language of love. <laughs> I really need it. I mean, I've been in Vancouver and we tend to wear a lot of black. It's just, I prefer not to. Yeah. Reese, so you come back to Vancouver with a different fashion sense and what happens? You come here and you get used to, don't change or how, how do you handle that? I've always been interested in fashion. So this was like prior to Copenhagen, since high school, many, many years, I've been interested in fashion. It's actually where I originally wanted to work was in the fashion industry. But 
the difficult thing about Vancouver is you have to dress for a lot of practicality. So I cycle everywhere I go, for example, but it's not like cycling in Copenhagen where you're just sitting on a cruiser and everything's flat. So you're not really like exercising too much. In Vancouver, I have to bike up big hills all the time to get home and I ride a little road bike. So it's a different geometry. So I'm a bit more intense into my biking, I would say. And also the weather, like, um, you know, it makes it a little bit difficult at times to dress too well in Vancouver, just with the rain all the time. Um, So with that, I don't think my fashion is the same at all. It also would just not really fit in Vancouver, because that's not how people dress here. People dress in Arcteryx and, you know, Patagonia or Blundstones. And that's kind of our definition of fashion here unless you're in certain parts of town which mm-hmm. like, like Yale town or something like that then maybe you dress up a bit more to go for drinks or dinner um so I wouldn't say that it is the same here as it is when I'm in Europe at all also like the type of clothing I can get in Europe is quite different than the type of clothing I can buy here in Canada so you adapt you know like you are bringing your sense of style to wherever you go No, I would say it varies based on lifestyle, based on where, what location I'm in. In Copenhagen, I'm going to the office every day, dressing up to do that. In, you know, Vancouver, I'm working from home and cycling everywhere I go. Obviously, the, you know, attire for those different types of lifestyles are going to vary. And the type of activities I do, like socially in Vancouver, I'm hiking with friends, going outside, doing kind of physical rock climbing. Or in Copenhagen, I'm going out for drinks. I'm going to a bar or a wine bar or something like that. And the type of dress you wear is pretty different. (laughs) Yes, that's true that you're a rock climber. Did you get to do that in Copenhagen? I did it a bit. I bouldered a bit, not rope climb, not as much as I was in Vancouver. And in Copenhagen, doesn't rain as much as here? Because I thought it would be similar weather. No, it does not rain as much as here. Okay, so we know about fashion now. Thank you for describing that. <laughs> I want to talk about your website because I love your website. Mm-hmm. I want to know how is it that you came up with the idea to put in your website your your resume? I thought it was a great idea. Is that something that everybody's doing or it was just your idea or how it came up? Um, so I was actually applying for an internship and they required a virtual portfolio, which includes your resume. Um, so I made the website to apply for the job. I never ended up getting the job, but I just kept the website over the years because I'd put so much effort in it in the first place for that job. And yeah, I I don't know how common it is that people have these sorts of websites. I think it is relatively common. It's just like an online portfolio is how you would consider it. So that instead of having a business card, you can just send someone like your link to your website along those lines. Hmm. But what do you think about it? Resumes have changed with times, but I feel that having the website is kind of cool because it makes you take care of who am I and I'm not just the resume. I have to put all things that I have done in there. And so it's like more of a selling yourself, but also celebrating all the things that you've done. We all have done things. It's just that we we dismiss it as like, oh, no, it's not as cool as Reese. <laughs> but, you know, we all have done stuff. So you think that that's a potential thing that people, okay, just look at my website instead of getting a paper. I think it depends on the job and like the recruiting practice for the jobs that I've worked in. Not really, just because I went through traditional recruiting, applying online, like that kind of thing. And they require you just to like upload a resume into their HR system because they use a lot of checking for keywords or things like that to make sure that they want to move forward with a candidate. I think if you're working for startups or trying to get hired in the creative industry or in marketing or something like that, having 
website is good because it shows that you have that skill. So like you can build websites or write blogs, for example. So I think it depends on industry and it could be very helpful. And I think in the creative industry, it's coming more common or for people who want to be contractors. So get like work on the side. That's something I'd love to do in the next couple of years. I just need to figure out the steps to get there, but to contract out specific work with different people or clients on the side, because I, I like to be able to choose and pick my projects and stuff like that and enjoy working on kind of interesting things. So why not also drive a bit of that business on the side as well? Yes, I think you, you have a lot of creativity. You love to do creative stuff. Yeah. And you also said that you will have been a terrible engineer. <laughs> How so? Uh, because engineers are very attention to detail and focused on a very specific thing where they get really, really deep into a specific area and knowledge. And I think I consider myself a lot more of a generalist. And that's why I work well in like the strategy consulting field is because I like to look at things, you know, very high level. I like to look at the overall way things are interacting and before getting into the nitty gritty details. I've done operations before and I enjoy it, but I definitely enjoy coming up with ideas or looking at how to problem solve a really big problem on the high level a bit more than being really tactical and on the ground. Great. Wonderful. All right. And so when are you leaving to London? Uh, in a couple of weeks on August 1st. Oh, that's my birthday. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> how did you start to do climbing? I started climbing because my high school best friend was really into it and moved to Vancouver for a co-op. So she was living in Vancouver for a year. And she just kind of said, you know, why don't we go rock climbing together? We like to do activities together. And I said, sure. And we started climbing together as climbing partners. And it was a really great way to be able to stay in touch with her as life gets busy. And we made lots of friends through it. So then it just continued in our lives. You have it as a hobby or you really think it's something that you want to pursue more? It's definitely a hobby for me. I'm not particularly good at climbing, so I don't think I would be going anywhere with it. And I think hobbies just to remove stress or have fun outside of work. And I don't want to make my hobby into work as well. What other hobbies do you have? Quite a few, I would say. I've been told that I have too many. I read a lot. So I try to read at least a couple books a month. I also play piano. So I played piano for a very long time since I was four. And I also like to cycle a lot. So I cycle everywhere in my life as my main form of commuting but also love to do long rides and have cycled to different islands. So I've cycled to like Victoria and Vancouver Islands, to Gibsons, to Bowen Island. I love to do trips to the different islands around Vancouver. So going to music gigs, I really enjoy and art galleries. So museums, enjoying art. Hmm. So Reese, you seem kind of like the perfect girl here. So <laughs> tell me something that you're not so good at, but something that you wish you had or things that you don't do too well. The one I always say is attention to detail, or at least when I think about this, I'm not the most detail oriented person. So I would be not the greatest probably editor because <laughs> my brain, I don't think works in that way. As I was saying, I'm a lot more of a high level person. So I work on it a lot more. I Although I enjoy sports and have super good time playing sports, I'm not the best at sports. And I, that's actually a funny thing because that's how I bonded with a lot of my lifelong friends over the years is I met a couple of them through playing soccer in high school and we bonded because we we're like the three worst players on the team. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's, it's good to do things and normalize not being great at your hobbies or being great at everything and just to have fun. And I love doing it, but 
yeah, I wouldn't say I'm the most <laughs> coordinated human. What about organized? Are you organized? I would say I'm pretty organized. I write a lot of lists and I plan ahead a lot. I'm like notorious for planning my life way too detailed, but it wor really works for me. But so far, you know, I had an episode where I interview five to 20 year old young people and I asked him six questions. And one of the questions was from graduating from high school until now, has life been how you expected it would be? And so I have to ask that question to you is because if you're a good planner, do you see that everything you plan was exactly as it come out? <laughs> um, definitely not. I would say you can't really plan for life happening. For example, COVID, I think everyone's learned that you can't predict how certain circumstances in your life will change. You know, I didn't really have an idea where my career would go going into business school or where I'd be living or what I'd want or who I'd be friends with. You kind of start over with a blank slate. And I think it's setting micro goals for yourself at that time and trying to define what those bigger goals are as you learn more about yourself and what's out there as opportunities. And I think it's become easier now to set those plans in motion or to like try set plans than it was when I was 18 and didn't really know too much about what, what was possible. Okay. Okay. Have you been surprised or disappointed? Um, I think surprised is probably the best way <laughs> to describe it. I think a lot of things happened that were very unpredictable. Like COVID's a good example. Like I would have never predicted that I wouldn't be able to spend two years with my classmates and wouldn't be able to graduate in person and would have to, you know, come home from an exchange within a couple days because you can't be there anymore, right? There's a global pandemic. I think COVID's a good example. I think it was surprising how challenging it was, like the coursework in the beginning. I was pretty unprepared just from my high school to be able to balance that curriculum and be able to learn how to study. It is also surprising. Something I didn't predict is how the friends in first year or the friends that you meet right when you start university really stick with you. And I know people would say that to me, but I never realized to what extent as a lot of my friends I met in first year university and those are still my closest friends. It is really unpredictable, but I also don't think I went in with certain expectations. I don't think I had any idea what university meant or what business even meant in studying school. So with that, I couldn't really be let down, I would say. But there definitely were things as life went on that I was surprised about, just in more bigger scale things like COVID. Yes, great. Thank you. And you you have siblings? Yeah, I have a sister. You have a sister. She's younger, older? Older. Can you tell me one thing that you have learned from her, from your mom, and from your dad? Interesting. That's a hard question. For my sister, <laughs> the biggest thing I've learned is to think before acting from her because she's a pretty go-out-and-do-things type person and has made mistakes throughout the years. And I think she taught me to try avoid those mistakes if possible. Um, because life can give you a lot of hard balls if you don't take a little while to consider what you're doing. I think for my dad, it's just in general hardworking. He's very hardworking and will do really solid, high performance work. And I think with my mom, it's just been to take care of yourself. So your wellness taking care of your skin, exercising, eating well is really important because if you don't have your health, then you can't do anything at all. So to really prioritize that. And if you enter a certain circumstance in your life where you're sacrificing a lot in your health, that you need to change something. 
because at one point your health will go and you really can't do a lot without it. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So now how does it feel? You have friends in Copenhagen, you have friends in Edinburgh, you have friends here. Can you say that you belong to mm -hmm. one place? Yeah, I, I definitely don't see myself as associated to Vancouver, one place or anything like that. I say I'm a citizen of the world is the best way to put it. Because um, I do have friends all over the world. I don't have like a friend base in one place, especially since we graduated university and people kind of go branch off to their own parts of the world. Yes, exactly. I find that fascinating. And I, I have that too. I was born in Spain, grew up in Venezuela. I went to Florida. Then I went to Switzerland and London and here. Being in Switzerland, we met people in, in hotel school. We met people from all over the world. And so I have friends everywhere. It is wonderful. Yet when you are here or when you're in Venezuela, it's always like, where are you from? I don't know. <laughs> it's always hard to answer that question. I think that that's typical happens to people that like to travel. <laughs> Yes, and you're just starting. Yeah. Um, so imagine you will be even more of a citizen of the world for sure. Yeah, definitely. What is your favorite subject to talk about? What is something that is passionate about that you just like can't stop talking about? Um, I think probably sustainable fashion or things within the fashion industry is a big interest. Sustainability, so secondhand shopping or the circular economies, sharing and reusing different items. I think that's like one of the things I talk to the most about to friends, to people in general is how to adopt those kind of lifestyle practices and to still be able to embrace fashion, but just do it in a way that's better for the environment. Yes, that's true. I, I always had this idea that, you know, you people buy a lot of shoes and dresses and then you don't get to use it as much. So I wanted to do something like a library kind of thing that people can borrow and then return. But, you know, obviously it has to be with certain sizes and you have to have a small group of people that are going to be responsible so they don't break it and they don't like return it broken. So it, it would be like yeah. a club. I dislike that I have a lot of things in my closet that I would love to share. I don't have sisters. Sharing will be amazing. And I think it's so important. So yes, I, I, I don't know if you think my idea is, is worth, but uh, oh, if you will work, I think it will take a lot of work. In uh, university, I started a company, very similar idea. So it was called Campus Closet and it was uh, dress rentals. So you could rent a dress from anyone on campus. It was peers renting dresses to each other for formal events. Say you're in a sorority and you go to a lot of formal events, you can rent a nice Aritzia dress instead of having to buy one every time you have to go to an event and that dress just sit in your closet. There you go. Yeah. You see? I think it's a great idea. It had to stop because of COVID, obviously, because people weren't going to formal events, number one, and people weren't lending things to each other, number two. So it wasn't great timing for that. It got... A lot of people really agree with this philosophy and like Rent the Runway, for example, is a super big version of this globally. And they hit unicorn status, which basically is just proving that it validates the idea or the concept as well. Yes, but I think it's possible. It's just that, I mean, having in the university, you have like a place that you have the people there. But if you are in the world, how can you do that? I mean, yeah. So I, I feel here you tend to buy and buy, which is very consumist, which are you sure in Copenhagen people don't do that. They they just don't go shopping all the time. I think it's a lot more expensive. So people just invest in certain pieces that they keep for a long time. Oh, I see. Yes. So they are better with the environment because they don't have those uh, shops that everything is $20, $15. Yeah, they definitely do have fast fashion stores, but I think people just like to dress to a certain level. And on average, 
more designer pieces, for example, is really popular in Copenhagen. And also secondhand shopping is very popular. There's something, it's basically, it's called Vera's Market Under the Bridge. And it's where a normal person like you or me could go and sell our clothes and just buy a stand. And they do it every Sunday through the nicer weather months. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so that's like very common. So then you might go there and buy some things from another woman that's selling out her clothes in her closet. Yeah. And so what ideas do you have that you think that we can change this uh, buying or producing all these kind of fashion that it might not be so necessary? I think it's like falling into the trends a lot that a lot of people struggle with. So needing to buy, you know, what's currently trending instead of thinking about like, is this a sustainable piece that's going to last me into the next couple of years? I think buying more quality. So don't buy things that are just going to break or fall apart within a couple uses. So saving up and investing in better quality pieces that also have like ethical background and how they're being created. And I think also just like considering how can I buy the secondhand first? So for example, Facebook Marketplace is one of the ways that I really like to do things before I buy anything new, either a book or camping gear or you know, whatever it is, I always check Facebook Marketplace first or eBay or something like that to see if I can buy it used so that I don't contribute to more items being in the world that at one point won't be in use. Different online shopping things like Depop, which is like an online thrift store type thing. Or you can just go into various Salvation Armies and have a list of like items that you're searching for so that you don't just go in and buy a bunch of things that you didn't actually need. So I usually like keep kind of a list of things that I would potentially like to add to my closet, for example. And then I also sell my clothes instead of throwing them away in the end so that it continues the cycle. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. And what is uh, your pet peeve? My pet peeve? In general. Mm, I probably have a few, to be honest. Um, I don't know, though. A pet peeve. Nothing. It gets you angry. I think like maybe if anything, like laziness, but like, I think anyone would be annoyed by laziness. It's like, you don't go out or you don't clean up after yourself. Like if you're living with someone and they leave things out all the time, noise is a pet peeve of mine. I live underneath like three opera singers. They go to opera school and they're 20 and they come home really late and they sing all the time. That's probably a pet peeve of mine. I will say (laughs) if someone's singing at 3 a.m. Oh, I know that. You know what? When we were living in London and Shepherd's Bush, we rented the apartment on the bottom from an opera singer as well. And then we would work graveyards and she would wake us up singing. And I was like, so mad. I put music, classical music. I put Pavarotti or somebody really loud. And then she would come downstairs and knock on my door. I am trying to sing and you are not allowing me. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a frustration. I can understand. You know, you you were saying also you like to read. A couple, I try. I met somebody that she reads three to 600 books a year. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. And she, she works, Yeah, you know. When you become a businesswoman, how will you be as a leader? What are the three things that are the most important for you and things that are absolutely not going to be negotiable? Yeah, I think the first one that jumps to mind right away is just empathetic. So understanding that people come from different knowledge bases and understandings of how they live life and go through life and that there's not one best way to think about life. So to have difficult conversations and to encourage people to share different thoughts, 
I think that's something less and less that we are allowing in society is to have different opinions or ways of thinking. And we expect people to kind of merge together and become this one version. I think there's good and bad in everything and that we should encourage people to develop their own ways of thinking and to really optimize from that because the most creativity and best ideas, I think, usually come from that. The second thing with leadership is also just to have good structure. That's just something I really prefer. So having good organization and really good clarity for people so that they understand, you know, this is what needs to be done. It becomes a lot easier to be efficient. The third one would just be transparency. That's something I really appreciate with leaders I've worked with is to be transparent about like, what are their motivations? What are their goals? Why are we doing certain things? I think pay transparency is also something that I'd really want to encourage if I were ever to be part of a company so that people who have been underpaid for many generations, such as women, that we can start closing the gap and ensuring that we have more equality between different groups as well. Great. Thank you. And how were you when you were in high school? Were you the popular kid? You were the one in the corner. (laughs) How was that? I think I was really good with merging social life and also academic life. That's the similar with the university. I always had a lot of friends that I was really blessed to have in my life and still great friends today from high school, for example. Like Grace is the one that I rock climb with all the time. I've known her since 10th grade. Uh, I have a friend visiting me right now from Montreal. We She used to live with me in high school and she's from 10th grade as well. And we've kept our friendship for seven years and it's been incredible. I was friends with a lot of the international students though. I think that's like the best way of putting it. I moved to Qualcomm, which is a very small community where most people don't move to as a young person and also people stay forever. They all grew up going to elementary school together. For example, the people that I went to high school with. And it's pretty hard to break into a society like that or a community like that and make friends. And I found that the international students not only shared similar perspective with me and philosophy of life, but also were very keen to meet new people and make friends. My best friends from high school were from Korea, Spain, and also China. And those were like a few of the closest people to me. Wonderful. Wow. There were so many people in that school from international. Interesting. Yeah, we had, um, I think it was like 90 international people each year out of a school of 400. Like we had a really high, maybe it was 60, somewhere around that. But it was like a very solid group. We had a lot of Germans that would come, Chinese that would come, Spanish. There was a few, I knew like three or four people from Spain. They would come either for a year or they would come for like the entire period. So my friends from China and Korea, those were like my two closest, they came for three years, so 10th through 12th grade, and then graduated and went to university in Canada as well. And so, Reese, one more question. Tell me something silly that you do or have. Something silly? Well, on the topics of books, I think something silly is I don't go anywhere without a book. So, for example, if I'm going to yoga class, there'll be like a book stuck in my yoga mat bag, even though I'm just going to yoga class. And I don't know why I always have to have a book with me. I could be going to the grocery store and I'll have a book in the back seat that I'll put in there just in case I get stuck somewhere and I need to read a book, apparently. But yeah, (laughs) that's funny. That's a good one. Yes. Thank you so much. All right, Reese. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated all this information that you share. I still going to be your fan. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate it for having me on. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it today's episode. I am Daniela and you were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. 
Please take five seconds right now and think of somebody in your life that may enjoy what you just heard or someone that has a story to be shared and preserved. When you think of that person, shoot them a text with the link of this podcast. This will allow the ordinary magic to go further. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto. Hasta pronto.